Okay, by a show of hands, how many people in here have broken a bone before? Okay. Yeah, most of us, right? How did it feel? Yeah, most of you are like, why would you even ask that question? That was maybe, there's no dumb questions. That might be one of them. It's a candidate for one of them, right? I have broken one bone in my entire life, okay? And uh, I am very proud of that. Up until that point, I was very proud that I'd never broken a bone before. But I broke a bone, and it's a pretty good story. I was a junior in high school. Uh, it was May, and we had started to do workouts for football going into my senior year. And so what workouts consisted of at that point was you went and you lifted, you did some conditioning, you did stretching. It was pretty easy stuff until summer started. And so May, I'm really amped up for my senior year, really excited about the opportunity I have, really fun stuff is happening. And I go into, it's early May, I go into lifting right after school, right? You get changed, you go up, and it's max day. Max day, if you are not a lifter or you didn't play sports, was the day that you kind of calculated all of your lifts throughout the last weeks and months to get to a point where you knew the max weight you could lift one time. So max day was when everybody like kind of walked around the weight room, kind of just flexing a little bit, right? They wanted to show off a little bit, right? And so I walked into that day. It's just a normal day. We're going to do max lifts, and it was leg day, right? And so leg day consisted of deadlifting, but it also consisted of squatting. And I was calculating my max for the day and getting to the point where I was about to lift. And we did something called box squats. And so we'd have a box underneath of us. I'm not really sure why, but we just did. And you kind of launch off of that to go up. And for some reason that day, I calculated that my max box squat was 450 pounds. Look at me. That's three times my weight, right? And for some reason, I don't know why I, I, I calculated that, but I did, okay? I was pretty confident. I knew that my legs were the strongest part of my body, okay? And so I thought, well, maybe this is the day the Lord has made for me to lift 450 pounds, right? And so I went into it, and everybody gets amped up. The music's going. You kind of pound your head against the wall. You're like, let's go, let's, let's go. And I get under it, and I pick it up. And I'll be honest with you, at that point, I knew it wasn't going to end well, right? I picked it up, and I took a step back. And as I took a step back, the bar started to slip off my shoulder. And that's a lot of weight to slide off of your shoulder. It started to slide off my shoulder, and it took my left wrist with it. And it basically just kind of like clean-breaked my wrist, right? And this is what I remember thinking to myself. First off, right, everything hit the ground, so everybody stops and looks. So you feel like a moron. You're like, gosh, I'm that guy today, right? And then I thought to myself, dang it, I done did that, right? I didn't complete the lift. And so I turned around, and I found the nearest bench that I could find, and I punched it with my other hands, right? And so in a sense, I could have broken both my hands on the same day at the same time, right? I was just so mad. And at that point, the pain hadn't hit because the adrenaline's still going. I'm still trying to figure out what's happening, right? And I remember the coaches were like, hey, you probably should get that checked out. It's like a lot of weight that, you know, landed on your wrist, right? And I'm like, oh, I don't know. Like, it feels like, okay, I guess, you know, maybe I should go get it checked out. So they send me to the trainer who is at the baseball field. So I have to, like, walk over. My dad meets me there. And he's like, Joel, how bad is it? And I was like, oh, it kind of hurts, you know. He's like, kind of hurts. 
and we'd take you home, get a shower, and we could send you back to school the next day. I'm like, ah, it kind of hurts a little bit, right? And then we see the trainer, and she takes a look, and she's like, you have to go to the hospital, like, right now. Like, that's not something that you can do, right? And all of a sudden, as we were driving to the hospital, like, the pain started to kick in, and it didn't feel great at all. And then all of a sudden, right, I get casted, and then they take the cast off four weeks later. And what is interesting about that is it still hurts for different reasons because it's not strong, right? Breaking something, breaking something is an interesting process. Breaking something usually, and we'll get to this in a little bit, comes with negative connotations. And today, the prayer that we're going to walk through is a prayer that feels upside down. It feels intimidating. And yet I think it's a prayer that God wants us to run into for the sake of something he wants to do in our hearts. Because when we ask God to break our hearts, we start to learn why Jesus was broken for us. And that's what we're going to look at today. Luke 11 is where we've been. We're in a series called Teach Us to Pray. It comes directly from the passage we're looking at in Luke 11. In Luke 11, we see Jesus, he is praying, and we see his disciples kind of approach him and say, what is this that you are doing? Teach us to pray like you do. And so throughout this series, I want to just challenge you to engage with three different things. The first thing is this. We have a series guide that we produce every single series. It's on the back wall. Grab one of those if you haven't. It's not too late. We'd love for you to grab one of those and go through it. Uh, we also have books back there that you can check out. The second thing is we have a prayer gathering that meets right before the service at 9 o'clock. That, that timing will shift when we go to two services, and we'll let you know what that looks like. But prayer gathering every Sunday morning, we'd love for you to be involved in that. And then lastly, like Paige said, next week we're having prayer and worship night. And our desire is to have a ton of fun out there. We're going to use that up, but we also want to pray over it and pray over our community as we walk into this next season as a campus, which will be really, really exciting. But we've been in this passage, Luke 11, verses 1 through 4 primarily. And this is what it says. This is Jesus interacting with his disciples. They just asked him, teach us to pray, Lord. Teach us to pray. Show us what you're doing. Show us how you do it. And this is what he says. When you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who sins against us, and lead us not into temptation. We are walking through three very distinct prayers that we see throughout this passage. Last week, we took a look at the prayer, search me. We said, search me, God. Know my heart. We looked at this passage, but we also looked at Psalm 139. And ultimately, inside of that prayer, we said this, the prayer of search me is asking God to see my sin that sits in my heart that I don't always see or recognize. It's asking God to find my fears that I don't always recognize and I don't always see or want to be seen, right? And then it's asking God not just to do those and leave it at that, but to lead me into life with him. The life everlasting is what the passage says. And so inside of that, right, we said, what would it look like for us to start praying, search me, God? Just taking a minute or two each day and saying, search me, reveal to me, show me, and allow me to walk into life with you more fully out of that. Today, we're going to look at the prayer, break me, break me, and next week, we're going to look at the prayer, send me. 
And here, here's where I started last week. I did spiritual prayer. I think prayer actually is one of the most uh, universally accepted spiritual practices, not just in Christianity, but amongst other religions. And even, I would say, unbelievers or the unreligious would even connect to that. It's the spiritual practice that Barna found to be the most, the most connected to practice to experience God. People would say that. And yet oftentimes I wonder, I wonder if it just is a ritual or it's just something we do. And we do it, and maybe it's common ground to do it, but inside of it, are we actually leaning into the power of God and leaning into the power of prayer through it? This is what we see inside of the book, Praying Like Monks, Living Like Fools. If you want to go to the next side, Tyler Stanton says this, Constantly overwhelmed lives should drive us to prayer at its purest and its rawest. But the tendency for many of us is to pray safe, calculated prayers that insulate us from both disappointment and freedom. This is where we started last week, because the three prayers we're looking at over the course of last week going into next week are not easy, simple, calculated prayers. They're very dangerous. They're very uncomfortable. They're very upside down to the nature of how maybe we would have a conversation with God or how we would pray or how we would think about prayer. Because oftentimes I typically think about prayer as a way to get what I want from the divine. So I pray in a way that really is calling a blessing on me instead of using prayer as a blessing to the one I'm talking to. What I think is fascinating about what Tyler Stanton says is calculated prayers insulate us from disappointment and freedom. Safe prayers insulate us from disappointment and freedom. And when I'm insulated from disappointment, I don't trust God as God. I trust myself as God. I only trust him so much so, just enough, but I can cover the rest. And when I insulate myself from freedom, I think that's an interesting one. That maybe is a shocking one for him to say, but I think what he's saying there is, when I pray safe prayers, I don't love God as God. That I don't enjoy the freedom of being in relationship with God and the fruit that comes with that. Rather, I just stay safe inside of my bubble, kind of distancing myself just enough so that I don't have to be stretched. And as we walk throughout this journey, my invitation inside of these three prayers is to not just write them down and not just write down the main points, but to actually run into them. To just start one minute, two minutes a day asking God to search you, to break you, and to send you. And I believe individually you'll see God move in some ways through that. Maybe in ways unexpectedly, maybe in ways that are terrifying, maybe in ways that are, are, are ways that you've been praying for for a while and he reveals to you finally. But I also wonder as a campus, what if we dedicated ourselves to praying like this? What would it do to us as a community? What would it do to us as a church if we started to pray in such a manner? Where would God lead us together? How would he start to form us inside in our character and how would he start to form how we see our community and beyond what would it look like to stretch into that because today 
Today we're looking at the prayer of break me, terrifying things me, which based on my story sounds like a terrifying thing to ask God to do, right? If you ever broken a bone, more times than not, that comes with negative connotations, right? It hurts. I broke my leg. It hurts. I broke the lamp. It hurts the punishment you get after you break the lamp with the football. Trust me, right? I have a broken heart. It hurts, right? Usually we talk about break me or breaking something. We do not sense this like uplifting encouragement that comes along with that. So why would Jesus invite us into a prayer that, if we were to be honest, really seems like a negative connotation prayer? Like, why would he want us to be broken? Why would he want to enter us into that? What kind of prayer is this, Jesus? Well, I think Jesus, in Luke 11, but we see throughout Scripture, wants to do something with our hearts. He wants to do something with our hearts. Now, don't miss this. Don't miss this. I, I, I'll just speak from my own experience. I pray way too often just looking for external solutions to come after it. These prayers that I am in, inviting us into are a long journey of obedience, asking God to reveal to us things internally that need to be transformed. And in the process that we trust God with the external things, of course, but that I think he wants to do something internally inside of us that we may or may not see externally in our lifetime, but that draw us closer to him. So in Luke 11, verse 2, this is what he says. He said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. Now, many scholars believe that this second portion, it's not in Luke 11, but in some transcripts it is, and we see it in Matthew also. But he would say, may your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Your kingdom come. This is Jesus praying to the Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. In week one, we looked at, Father, hallowed be your name. We said, what a powerful, intimate, personal way to enter into prayer saying, Father, your name is holy, it is set apart, it is all-powerful. You are the God and creator of the universe, and at the same time, you are my Father. And when we recognize that, then this second portion pops differently. Because the reality about this prayer is the natural tendency, and why I think Jesus introduces this to us, is our natural tendency in nature is my kingdom come and my will be done. He's not just introducing this as something flippant or something to recite. He is going after our heart inside of this prayer. Because my natural tendency is my kingdom come and my will be done. And we're going to get into this a little bit. I won't have a ton of time to, but we're going to get into it a little bit. But as fallen creatures, as fallen human beings, I tend to live for my kingdom and my will, and I try to protect that. And typically, at least for me, and I think for most human beings, this is true, my kingdom and my will can be defined in two words, comfort and control. 
that as long as my kingdom and my process playing out, then I'm a happy person. And that is a fallen, sinful thought process, but it's just true. And I think it's true that comfort and control are kind of the main pillars of my kingdom, no matter who you are. Because if you look at the world around us, that's what we invest into a lot. I looked at, I, I typed in the top Amazon purchases just in Google, okay? And then it gave me categories, and I was like, I don't need categories. I just need items, right? There's a ton of categories. There's like clothing and entertainment and dog food, and you're like, gosh, what is this, right? But some of the top Amazon purchases, like the top ones that I saw, consisted of AirPods, a back massager chair, a neck relaxer, a 24-karat gold eye mask, and a foot massager. Now, that's what I found. I don't know if any of you have those in your home. I am not dissing you if you do, okay? If you have a back massager chair and you don't want it, I will take it from you, okay? But I found it to be funny because I think that what we invest our life into in some simple ways like Amazon purchases actually show us a lot more about our heart than we like it to. That if we were to be real, we live in a world where my control and my comfort equates to salvation. That as long as I'm comfortable, as long as I'm in control, then I am safe. And if I am safe, then I am secure and salvation has been achieved in a sense. And that is my kingdom and my will be done. But what if prayer reorients my heart and my desires in the process? There's nothing wrong with ordering a neck relaxer or eye mask. There's nothing wrong with that. But what if we dug deep, deep down and said, what is my heart actually leaning into? And I think this prayer does that. We live in a world, we live in a time, and we live as fallen human beings, no matter where you live across the world, where it is way easier to kind of funnel into what I want to be, than to be stretched into what God wants. There's a man by the name of Bob Pierce. He is the founder of Samaritan's Purse, and he prayed this and, and kind of quoted this statement as he went over and started helping people in foreign countries. He would say, break my heart for what breaks yours. He's talking to God there. Break my heart for what breaks yours. When Jesus invites us to pray, break me, what is he inviting my heart to do? What is he inviting my heart and my life to do in the process? There's three things, and then I want to just lead us into what it would look like to start praying, break me, Father. The first thing is this. The prayer of break me is asking God to break me of my kingdom. Break me of my kingdom. This is where that statement, your kingdom come, comes in. That I think he very intentionally places there because often our hearts are more set on and secure in our kingdom coming than his kingdom coming. And I think literally Jesus is inviting us to believe that his kingdom is better than my kingdom. I think inside of this, he wants us to understand that his kingdom coming onto this earth is better than my kingdom playing out in my life. 
Why, why though? In reality is this, and the story of God trends this way. We were born into his kingdom as rebels. We were born into this universe in rebellion against the true and right king. If you follow the story of God, what we see from the outset, if you start in Genesis, we see that in Genesis, God is defined as the rightful ruling, reigning king of the universe who creates everything and creates it by speaking it into existence and creates it and says it is good. And then he creates human beings. And he creates human beings and he invites them into his kingdom to be a part of ruling and leading with him, to be in relationship with him. And early in the story, we rebelled against this kingdom. See, Adam and Eve were deceived by Satan. And from that moment on, we exchange his kingdom for our kingdom. And right now, if you were just to play it out in a story format, right, we sit in this world as rebels against the king. But here's what's fascinating about the story of God is that the story of God tells me that he didn't just leave us to be. Because the king who rules over the universe has every right to dismiss us or destroy us because we rebelled against his kingdom. Right? If we were just to be honest and real, like that, that could be an option. And yet he loves us so much that he sent Jesus his son, to come into this earth, the rightful ruling king stepped into the rebellion of sorts, the mess, the rebel territory, not to condemn us, but to save us. Not to destroy us, but to come after us. Not to dismiss us, but to invite us into life with him. Jesus is that king who came to establish his rightful reign and rule. What I love about the story of Jesus is that he came to introduce to us a right-side-up kingdom in an upside-down world. I've heard it read and I've heard it said that Jesus does a lot of upside-down things in this world. Like he shocked a lot of people. He threw a lot of people in a frenzy. It's because the right side upness of his kingdom pierced into the upside down nature of this world and it changed everything. And what's fascinating about the story of Jesus is that he did not come as a king on a throne. He did not come as a king on a horse, a king with an army to take over, but he came as a servant to ultimately do for us what we could not do for ourselves, to do for us what we deserve so that we could have life. And Jesus, in his last moments with his disciples, shares with them what is going to happen. He shares it around a dinner table where they're enjoying food and enjoying company. And he introduces to them what is going to take place. And his disciples can't understand why. They're kind of baffled. Like, aren't we supposed to do something great and awesome and take over and 
the Romans, right? Kick them out, and we're going to come on in. Jesus says this in Luke 22, verse 19. He took the bread, gave thanks, broke it, and gave it to them, saying, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Here's the reality. Jesus ushered his kingdom into this world not by proclaiming he's the best, not by sitting on the throne, not by pushing everybody around, not by using his power for his own good, but by being broken and dying for us. Jesus' right-side-up kingdom came and served those who were the least of came and healed those who needed healing. He came and he fed those who were hungry, but he also came to do something that you and I could not do for ourselves and to be broken, his body literally hanging on a cross, being pierced in the side, being thrown into a grave so that you and I could experience his kingdom. That in a sense... Jesus is introducing to us what it looks like to live out his kingdom on this earth. It means be broken. And what Jesus did for us, it requires a response. That I think the idea of break me, starting with believing that his kingdom is better than mine, requires a response. You and I are naturally wired to believe that our kingdom, our will, our wants, our desires are the best, are right, are always good, and are my first priority. Jesus is inviting us to respond to his kingdom by doing for us what we could not do for ourselves and inviting us to do the same so that we can see his kingdom. He is inviting us to first repent. Because when I pursue my kingdom and I pursue my wants and I am the God of my own life, I am running this way away from where Jesus is at. And when I repent, I turn from the actions that I'm doing and I look in a different direction. And when I look in a different direction and that direction is Jesus and I believe that he is Savior and he is Lord and I step into that and I say yes to him, I give my life to him as Savior and Lord. He's promised to save me and to continually save me from the presence of sin in my life and then he invites me to follow him and to live out his kingdom inside of my life. And that's the invitation for some of us this morning. Is that you have been here and you've been present and you, you've been coming, you've been doing the church thing maybe. Or maybe you're newer to what's going on with Jesus and God and you're not so sure. And the invitation that Jesus gives to us is I have been broken for you and I want you to enjoy relationship with me. But it means that you're going to have to break 
from what was and run into me. Saying for some of us, some of us, that's the decision. Saying yes to Jesus is free, but it comes at a cost. It came at a cost for Jesus, and it comes at a cost of pursuing my own kingdom and my own will in my own life. And for some of us, we recognize or need to start recognizing that Jesus' kingdom is better. It's better. It's a right-side-up kingdom in an upside-down world. And he's inviting you to say yes to him, to fall into his love, to fall into his mercy, to fall into his grace, and ultimately fall into his kingdom. Listen, for others of us, we have said the prayer, we recognize Jesus as who he is and as Savior, and I need to run into checking my heart to really see if I'm pursuing his kingdom and following him or mine? Am I actually following his will and kingdom or am I just masquerading inside of it and actually following my kingdom and my will? And that cannot always be determined just by sitting around coffee and talking about it. That's why I'm inviting you to pray. I think the Spirit works in a unique way to reveal that in our life. Let me step over here for a second, okay? And I, this is not where the sermon is going, but I thought it was worthwhile saying some of you are in a place of brokenness right now. And, and that might be relationally, uh, might be mentally, emotionally, spiritually. You're in a place of brokenness. You're hurting You've been hurt, or maybe there's something being revealed in your life that just is painful. And here's what I want you to know and what I think Jesus wants us to know is that he can empathize and understand where you are at because he's been broken too. That you are not alone in that. And yet he invites us to continue to pursue him inside of relationship. And so... The question I would ask underneath of that is, am I asking God to break me of my kingdom for his? Am I asking God to break me of my kingdom for his? To break me of my kingdom, the second thing I would say in regards to this prayer is break me of my comfort. Break me of my comfort. Comfort, a lot of this is coming from a personal lens, so just... I would just look at it in your own life, right? See what comes out in your own life. But comfort is king in my kingdom. Comfort is king inside of my kingdom, right? The top Amazon purchases. I like to have all the good stuff. I like to be comfortable. I like to have everything going the way that I want it to go. And I think it's interesting because I don't think I'm the only one that would say that. But why? Why is comfort king inside of my kingdom? Well, our hearts long for it, I think. I think our hearts long for comfort. And I tend to pursue that in and of myself and in and of my own kingdom and my own will. And so my pursuit of it becomes selfish desires being fulfilled through it. We often chase comfort for my kingdom 
instead of running into the comfort of him and what he's promised us inside of his kingdom. Here's the reality. I, I don't know, how many of you ever heard of the Enneagram uh, test? Anybody taken the Enneagram test? Most of you don't know the Enneagram test, so I'll, let me just explain in like 30 seconds flat, okay? Enneagram test is a personality test. There's a thousand of them. It's just the one that's recently popular, right? Gives you a number, one through nine. You fit a number or majority of a number, and it kind of tells you who you are, what plays out inside of your life, all those things. And there's been a lot of really good spiritually driven books beside the Enneagram test. I took it. I had my staff take it. And I know you're not supposed to say this, but I am the worst personality of the bunch, okay? And everybody's like, no, you that's not true. It's true because they give you pictures with each, with each number. And I won't tell you what personality I am, but my picture, everybody else's picture is like, like shooting for the stars or they're like standing there real like stoic or they're like drawing something, right? My picture is a guy going like this. <laughs> I'm like... Yep, that's the worst one. That's like, he has no idea who he is and what he's doing right now, right? And so I am built naturally as a skeptic. I am built naturally, uh, my weakness is anxiety. I'm built to kind of think twice about certain situations. I, I think twice about trusting someone, all of those things. Here's the reality. I think, yes, that's my personality, right? But I think a sinful fallen human beings there's something to providing our own comfort that is just so natural like i and how my personality is i'm like i gotta make sure everything is okay and everything's all right and i gotta make sure i double check it right is the oven off kind of thing is that gonna be there who's gonna be at the pool like all that stuff to make sure that everything's going as planned and if anything is thrown off, then my heart is broken. Because here's what I think often our hearts break for. Our hearts often are broken for when my kingdom doesn't come to fruition. My heart, it breaks and I get sad and I get devastated when my comfort and my control don't go as planned. Right? Amazon package didn't come the day it was supposed to be delivered. Golly! One day delivery, I bet. Right? My, 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 my team didn't win. Gosh! Bunch of lousy football players. Right? I, my order wasn't the right way. Or my kids didn't get promoted to this. Or this didn't go well. Or my car's broken down. My schedule gets turned. Someone didn't show up for a meeting. The audacity. Oftentimes, my heart gets broken because my kingdom and my comfort are in jeopardy. And I think that God is calling us out of that. Instead, he invites me to ask him to break me of my comforts and my will and in turn break my heart for what breaks his Break my heart for what breaks yours, God. And, and this is interesting because in that Last Supper scene, after Jesus tells them he's going to be broken for conversation, in essence, he's inviting them to do the same. 
he runs into a conversation that I think is fascinating and is something worth noting because I think the disciples were wondering the same thing you and I are wondering about our comfort in our kingdom. Look at what they say. Luke uh, 22, 25 and on. Jesus said to them, the kings of the Gentiles lord over them and those who exercise authority over them call themselves benefactors. Now, context. The disciples were arguing at the dinner table. Parents, you know how that goes, right? Jesus is like, what's happening right now? Who's the greatest next to Jesus? James and John, like, well, we should get left and right, right, Jesus? Peter's like, well, throw me in there, man. I'll fight you for it, right? And the rest of the disciples start to get real upset. Then Jesus goes into this. Listen, I often fight for my kingdom. And when it doesn't play out, my heart gets broken. He says, but you are not to be like that. Not to be like those who lord it over others, who exercise authority and call themselves benefactors, play to their power. Instead, the greatest among you should be like the youngest and the one who rules like the one who serves. For who is greater, the one who is at the table or the one who serves? Is it not the one who is at the table, but I am among you as one who serves? He continues, you are those who have stood by me in my trials and I confer on you a kingdom just as my father conferred one on me so that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom and sit on thrones judging the 12 tribes of Israel. What he is saying here is this, you are fighting for your kingdom and you're fighting for your comfort and you're missing it. That's not what my kingdom is about. What I love about Jesus is this, is he doesn't just smack him on the hand and then move on, but he says, you're missing what's better. I love you too much to leave you where you're at, but you need to understand my kingdom is about serving and loving and generosity and sacrifice and surrender, and it's about running into people that you wouldn't normally run into because I've run into your life in a way that you could not even imagine or understand. And what he says at the end is this. He says, you embrace my kingdom and there is something waiting for you inside of that. He promises the disciples that they're going to sit in 12 seats judging the 12 tribes of Israel. That they're going to have some sort of role inside of the heavenly realms. You and I may not sit in those seats, but he's promising us something better inside of his kingdom than ours. He says, don't, don't just waste your life on cheap comforts. Run into my kingdom for the sake of what I've done in your life, but also for the sake of what I'm doing continually. The comfort that we receive is not of this world, but the next. Jesus invites them into that greater-ness. Lay down your life. Join me in my kingdom work. Because here's the reality. My comfort in this world is a mist. The Amazon purchase yesterday, I forget about today. The success I had yesterday, I forget about today. Jesus tells us in Philippians 2, exited the comfort of his father. Run into the mess of rebellion territory, went to the greatest lengths, the most uncomfortable moments, the most unsure situations so that you and I could have life. 
and be in the midst of the presence of the Father for eternity, which is the greatest comfort we could ever experience because he is called the comforter. Listen, don't, don't buy into the cheap comfort of this world. God is inviting us to pray this prayer of break me. Believe in his kingdom, break me from my comfort so I can see what is better, so I can see where to invest, so I can see that you are the only one that can give me what my soul is longing for. There is nothing else in this world that can fulfill that. So the question I would ask to play off my t-shirt a little bit, am I willing to seek discomfort because he did for me? And when I say seek discomfort, I mean praying the prayer, break me. It's not an easy prayer. But then there's a promise. Because I think the prayer of break me ends up also bringing me into his courage. And when I ask break me, it's going to bring me into his courage. As God breaks me, He's not just going to leave me to my own devices. That's what I love about our Father, the Holy Father, the universe. We pray these prayers, and he's not like, ah, showed you, move on. He's like, I want to reveal to you so I can move you into transforming your heart into becoming more and more like mine. And you and I are not naturally courageous for the things of the kingdom of God. I am not naturally courageous to run after what Jesus runs after because of my fallenness, my selfishness, my sinfulness. And so as I pray the prayer of break me, he wants to move me into a place of courage that is of him and not just of me. And as a follower of Christ, if you've said yes to Jesus, what happens supernaturally and unbeknownst to us in a physical form is that the spirit of God enters into our life. The spirit of the living God, which baffles me, and every time I think about it, I'm like, really? Like, how cool is that? And we just don't think about that often. The living God of the universe is residing in you and I, and he promises us certain things out of that. Paul would tell us in 2 Timothy chapter 1, for the spirit God gave us does not make us timid. Now listen, inside of that, Inside of just that little couple of words tells me a lot about my kingdom. Why do I pursue the things of my kingdom and my will? Because I'm scared. I'm fearful. I'm fearful that if I lose it, right, who will I be? I'm fearful that if, if I don't play it out, then am I going to be seen as I want everybody else to see me? I'm fearful that he is not enough. And that what he's provided me is not enough. I think one of the reasons I pursue my comfort, my kingdom, my will is because I am fearful. And it's a work of Satan, ultimately a deception to say that you are enough in and of yourself. And then in the reality is this, we live it out and then we know we're not enough. And we get scared. He says the spirit of God doesn't give us that. But rather gives us power, love. In self-discipline, well, what's he saying there? What, what does that mean? Well, in a sense, Paul tells us that fear is not of God, but through his spirit, he infuses power, love, and self-discipline. That power 
the power he's talking about is not control, but it's of the cross. God's power goes with me every day, and all I have to do is invite him into my life to tap into it. Love, love, not or selfishly, but selflessly. God's love is the definition of his kingdom. And self-discipline is not a life hack, but a kingdom mindset that God's kingdom invites me to invest my life into what he is doing and developing the character inside of me, not just the competency outside of me. When he breaks me, he brings me into his kingdom way and into his kingdom conversation. That inside of this, the reality is he has given me his spirit, not just to use for my own selfish desires, but to break me of my kingdom and then to usher me into what it means to live for his kingdom as I go. And as he does that, which is an ongoing thing, listen, a lot of us, we read that and we're like, why are we doing it? I'm scared all the time. I got to muster it up. Listen, following the Spirit is a day-by-day -day journey of this becoming a full reality for you. He tells us this, and he tells us this, and the Spirit of God lives in you to remind you that you are a son and a daughter of God and that he has saved you. You have not saved yourself. And he wants to infuse power and love and self-discipline every single day into you, but it is a journey of the Spirit transforming you. So keep tapping into it even when you fail. Keep tapping into him. Because as you tap into him, the prayer that we see Jesus pray at the end of Luke 22 becomes our prayer. Jesus is in the garden. His disciples are kind of off to the side. They fall asleep. And this is the prayer that Jesus prays. He withdrew, withdrew about a stone's throw beyond them, knelt down and prayed, Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me. Yet not my will, but yours be done. An angel from heaven appeared to him and strengthened him. And being in anguish, he prayed more earnestly. And his sweat was like drops of blood falling to the ground. Which scholars say that he was so anxious and, and humanly kind of stressed to the point of or, uh, sweating blood. That is a medical condition. And what's interesting is the kind of courage that God infuses into me leads me to this kind of prayer. Does it remove everything that I don't want, that might be bad, that might end up hurting me? Nope. But what God's courage and through his spirit does is it leads me into his kingdom, which has more fruit to it, more joy to it, more promise to it than my kingdom can ever provide. It's so much better. Is it always going to play out? Nope. Not like I thought it would. Is it always going to be safe? Nope. Not like I thought it would. Is it always going to be easy? Nope. Not like I thought it would. And yet the question I would ask is this, am I willing to trust the king and his kingdom? Am I willing to trust the king and his kingdom? Now, real briefly, I just want to invite us to consider what it looks like to pray. And I'm not going to use the next passage, Dan, so you can skip that. But what does it look like to pray this prayer? Because honestly, if we, if we were just to be honest and real... This prayer is not necessarily fun and exciting and get you up and going kind of prayer for your day, right? And yet I wonder what it will do for us, to us, and in us as we jump into it. 
So how would I practically pray this? First is just literally praying, break me. Break me, Father. Break me, how, Joel? Break me of my kingdom, my comfort, my control, what I'm holding on to. Reveal to me that, Father. Reveal to me where I am trying to do it in and of myself. I am living for myself and not for you. But also, Father, would you break me as I walk day to day? So not just reveal to me, but would you break my heart for what breaks yours? Break me of my kingdom, break me of my comfort, and lead me into that. Dietrich Bonhoeffer would say this, when Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. Like, oh, thanks a lot, Bonhoeffer. You read Jesus, we were going to look at a passage, Mark 8. He says, deny yourself, pick up your cross, follow me. Oh, goody right? Because there's something inside of us that has to die for the sake of his kingdom coming alive in us. There's something that I typically hold on to that distances me from playing out his kingdom. So when Jesus invites us to follow him, even if you've been following Jesus for a really long time, you will die learning things and being driven into new things. He might reveal something to you and he says, now put it to death and follow me. Break me is a dangerous prayer. It'll force you out of what you're comfortable with, out of what you're used to. The second part of the prayer is I would pray, slow me. S-L-O-W, slow me. The busier I am, the less my heart breaks. The busier I am, the less my heart breaks. It is really easy for me and my wife to talk and her to update me on other people's lives stuff, and it might be falling apart, it might be hard, and for me to just kind of gloss over. I got that meeting tomorrow, and I got to do this tonight, and the kids are just running around crazy. The busier I am, my heart breaks the less. This is what John Mark Comer would say, hurry and love are incompatible. The more you're hurried, the less you'll love. The more we're busier, the less our hearts will break for what breaks his. My heart will break because my stuff didn't play out the way I wanted it to. It won't break for what his kingdom breaks for. So God, slow us down enough to see people and understand what is happening. Slow me down, not just to see people, but slow me down in moments that I don't typically slow down or I didn't expect to slow down to Usher in a kingdom moment for the sake of you. Then lastly is call me. Call me. Next week, we're going to spend time on the prayer, send me. So I'm not going to spend a lot of time here. But as I ask God to break me and to slow me, I need to lean into asking him to call me into his kingdom work. Because Jesus calls us to die to something and then to follow into something. And each and every one of you, if you've said yes to Jesus, have been invited into his kingdom work. For some of us, it is dying to something so that we can see what he's calling me into for the sake of his kingdom. Putting aside what is comfortable, putting aside what is easy, putting aside what is normal. 
to run into what he has for us. As the worship team comes up, my question would be this. Where could God be calling you? Where could God be calling you here in the next week, month, couple months, years, that maybe you just haven't been able to tap into because you've not asked him to break you, to slow you, to lead you into that calling? Where could he be leading us as a church if we were willing to pray this prayer? Think about how scary that is. If we collectively started praying this prayer for our church and our community, think about what he'll introduce into our lives. It'd probably be messy, probably be intimidating, probably won't make sense all the time. But when you think about the 16,000 lives inside of just our community, the 65 to 70% of people that are broken because they don't have the life of Jesus in them, then our comfort and our ease and our control become silly. What if we collectively started to pray in such a way that God started to move into the calling on each and every one of our lives? I don't believe that a church is just a Sunday morning program that we run to satisfy some religious duty for the gods to appease them. But as a gathering of people whose lives have been transformed and want to speak that into other people for the sake of their life being transformed. And so as we end, the question I would ask is, are you willing to ask God to break your heart for what breaks his? And I'm going to invite you just in this moment as Paige plays underneath, take a minute or two with your eyes closed and your heads bowed, asking God to begin to break your hearts. My challenge is this, with all of these prayers, don't give up. Be persistent, be patient. But would you spend a minute or two just starting that conversation with God and if you need to talk to someone after the service during music, I'll be in the back. We've got volunteers all around. Why don't you take a minute or two as they play underneath?